joining us glad to have you back once again and if you missed it if you're not up with me on the socials if you're not following along with my personal journey i was on terrestrial radio once again last week and i don't mean like a guest i don't mean like i was being interviewed i mean like i hosted for three hours two days literally six hours of radio 18 segments to write and it was great it was phenomenal had a great time doing it I'm intensely grateful to KOA Colorado for inviting me back, filling in for Ross Kaminsky. It's just terrific. How does one achieve that? How does one get there? How does one be in a position to where the biggest platform, arguably, in the audio medium, in the entire state, and possibly the entire region, that is an incredibly powerful radio station at KOA. It reaches other parts of the world when the weather is right. And to just go on and have them be like, hey, you know what? Fill three hours of airtime for us. That doesn't just happen, yet it's happened to me now a couple of times, and here's how. You work really hard to get really good at something, and as a result of that hard work, opportunities roll in. So, in my particular case, I've been doing this show for nine and a half years. Let's put a pin in that for a second in terms of my own personal journey, and let's talk about this week's guest. His name is Brendan Kumarasamy. He is the creator of Master Talk and of Rockstar Communicators. And he reached out to me, I don't know, like a month, maybe two months ago at this point. And he's like, hey, this is what I do for a living. Would you be interested in talking to me on your show? And I looked him up and I go, hell yeah, brother, I would love to. Let's do this. Because what I learned from Brendan, from watching him, is that guy is poised. That guy is directed. That guy is driven. And underneath that is this huge beating heart that he doesn't talk about a whole lot. Because one of the things we cover in this episode... When you are teaching and when you are coaching public speaking and presentations, it is an intensely vulnerable thing that you are doing. People hate public speaking. People are terrified of it. Yet, everyone has to do it at some point or another. And if you want to advance in almost any career, you are going to have to get good and get better at communicating. The only way to do that, and the only way I get offered opportunities like the ones I got at KOA Colorado, are to keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it some more. And in this episode, Brendan talks about his system for getting good, getting better, and getting great at public speaking and presenting. And it's phenomenal. We compare notes. We have slightly different approaches. We have different philosophies. But we kind of arrive in the same place. So it's really fun to talk shop. And so this is my PSA to you. If you are interested in getting better at public speaking, if this is something you are not good at, if this is something you don't enjoy... Get in touch with Brendan, get in touch with myself, or find your own coach. Literally, there's a bunch of us out there, but find the one that's the right fit, the right vibe for you. There is more than enough business for all of us. And then take any opportunity anyone will give you, and you will get better at it. You will level up. Cool opportunities will come your way. Hopefully, fame, fortune, riches, whatever it is you're after, will follow you if you practice and if you seize opportunity. I mentioned socials. If you want to stay up with everything I'm doing, I recently left Happy Friday, the show that I'd been doing for the last 10 months, left it on great terms. Kevin and Art are running the show now. They're calling it Happy Friday America. Be sure to check them out. It's Happy Friday USA on the socials, and it's YouTube only. So no more podcasting, YouTube only. That's their wheelhouse. They're going to go crush it. Send them some love. But my socials are J-O-A-T-Pod. That's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Episode previews go up on Mondays or Tuesdays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. We might be getting back into a more regular cadence here, considering I have something off my plate now. That remains to be seen, but we'll keep going as best we can, and I'll keep bringing you good guests. Like episode 353, his name is Brendan Kumarasamy. He is the founder of Master Talk. He is an ace public speaking coach and presentation trainer, and his episode starts right now. So a lot of, so I had a lot of my clients that are American. I think ninety percent of my business is in the States. So I wasn't doing much coaching. So I was just enjoying sure. my, my vacation. What about you? Any anything Oh yeah, no, we were we were together with family. It was great. 
we went to a parade that was just very, very eclectic. You you got a little bit of everything at this parade. And if, if I could compare it to a public speaking experience, you really never knew where it was going to go. And you go, you, should, you guys should really rewrite this because structurally <laughs> this makes no sense. There'd just be like uh, like this amazing marching band, and then there would be like three people who just had like n- nice Chevy Tahoes, and then it would be like uh, a dance troupe that was great and just rocking the crowd. But you could never predict the flow of it; it was just it was too weird. But uh, anyway, whole range of human experience. What can you say, right? Wow. So this is Brendan Kumarasamy who. You reached out to me, sent me an email. You are the leader of something called Master Talk. You are a communications expert. And as soon as I read that and I saw some of your videos, I go, okay, this guy and I, we can talk shop because this is part of my portfolio. And I thought, what a phenomenal thing that you're doing. And a lot of what you advocate for and the advice that you espouse is right in my wheelhouse too. So Brendan, for anyone who is unfamiliar with you, give us your elevator pitch. Yeah, for sure, John. Well, I think the backstory is probably better than an elevator pitch, which is... I love it, yes. Yeah, my my story started in in accounting, funny enough, John. I went (laughs) to business school, and I thought I was going to be a numbers guy. I didn't know communication coaching was a profession. It's not something I was looking to do, let alone start a business, by the way. Sure. I took the safest route in my life, which was to get a high-paying job in corporate. So that's what I did. But in that journey, what happened is I started competing in these things called case competitions, John. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So right. while the guys, right? So while the guys my age were playing like football or rugby or baseball, I wasn't really one of those guys. I did presentations competitively, and that's how I learned how to speak. But I mostly did it to get a job. But then as right. I got older, I started coaching a bunch of students in college on how to speak, largely for free, not because I was good at it, but because I just wanted them to win competitions. And I accidentally developed a talent for this. So Master Talk didn't really start as a business initially, John. It really just started as a YouTube channel. I kind of looked at the landscape and said, you know, everything I'm teaching these students isn't really available for free on the internet. So I started making videos in my mom's basement while I'm working at a corporate job. And one thing led to another. And here we are today. You know, that sounds like the way I started this podcast because I, unlike you, so interestingly enough, I started as a business finance major in college and was just bored to tears by the classes that I was taking. And there was one macroeconomics class with a professor that I loathed that I thought, I can't do this anymore. This is awful. And meanwhile, I'm getting 96% on all my speeches in my public speaking class. And I thought, and I've told this story a zillion times on here, but I looked at the course catalog and I go, what are the two letters at the front of this class? Can I major in this? And I looked at it and I go, holy crap, I can major in this. And I'm going to. This is phenomenal. And so from there, it was, it was born. And I went to graduate school and I taught public speaking because if you have a graduate program, you need like and, and you want to fund it. And in Colorado, where I live, Colorado requires every student to take public speaking before they graduate college, which is just phenomenal. And I'm so in favor of But if you're going to offer that many sections, you need cheap labor to fill it out with. And so thus, you have a graduate program, and I got to teach public speaking. So in the course of two years, I saw something like 2,000 speeches at least. Wow. And and if you watch enough of them, you start to pick up what works and what doesn't. And so when I went into my corporate job, one of the guys I worked for did training for you know, union leaders for, you know, mid-level managers for corporate executives. And he started to ask me to sit in on them. And I go, oh, I can do this and get paid. That's amazing. And it's like, it's been my favorite thing because I want your take on this. When you coach someone through public speaking, that's a very intimate kind of process that you're going through. Yeah, absolutely, John. And and by the way, the story was very similar to me. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I I didn't realize I could get paid either to do this. It was probably, I, I, I probably coached 50 people or 60 people for free before I even made my first hundred dollars in communication coaching. It happened like probably nine months into master talk when I was making these videos, I flew out to Columbus, Ohio for an event called summit of greatness, which is hosted by a podcaster named Lewis house. And I, and I go to this event and I meet my business partner there and my first paid client, he kind of called me and said, Hey, how much do you charge? I was like, for what? (laughs) He said, for, for communication coaching. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I, I started charging him a hundred bucks an hour. I didn't know what I was doing. And that was the craziest story of my life. I was like, wait a second. If I get like a hundred of these clients at a hundred dollars an hour, I'll be the richest guy in the world. Anyway, 
<laughs> well, you know, to build on that real quick, I love the way this stuff kind of falls out of the sky because when I was in my corporate gig, I was thinking about leaving. I, I couldn't wait to leave. But I was working with someone I was introduced to through an acquaintance, and she said, ugh, media, I got I just gave a really bad interview. I need someone to coach me. I'm like, you know, my wife does that, and she didn't. Like, she honestly didn't at that time, but we met in the same graduate program. And she goes, how much would that cost? And I go, uh, for like three sessions, we'll call it uh, $1,000. And she goes, that seems fair. Okay. And I go, all right. Uh, so I called my wife and I said, babe, you got to start a business now because you have a client. <laughs> and so we just started charging from there. It was great. So again, very similar. It's, it's funny how these things reveal themselves to you, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely, John. And then and then in terms of coaching, I think what happened with me is because I had zero exposure to the industry, I brought a lot of ideas that didn't really exist before. Like one of those examples was structuring communication in a way that's practical and sequential to the learning. So I'll give you an example. You know, a lot of a lot of people in our space, they would say something like be yourself or open your eyes more, communicate more effectively or, you know, 93 percent of your communication is nonverbal and then look at all this stuff and go like okay but how do we structure communication training like a fitness plan like if you want to get more fit like it's really simple you do one two three you do more squats you do more push-ups you eat the right things and you do it consistently enough whereas that system i felt wasn't available and it definitely wasn't available for free for people who couldn't afford a coach and that's what I i think ultimately worked on on my private clients pretty rapidly I think that's really insightful because I always tell people, you know, a, a lot of people will come to me and they'll tell me how nervous they are and they don't like public speaking. And I say, there's two things here. One, you're, you're, if you, you're viewing this the wrong way, because number one, if you view this as an obligation, you're going to treat it like an obligation. If, if you think of it as something I have to do, then you're not going to get excited for it. If you think of it as something like I get to do. Then you invert your your entire feelings and your approach to this. So number one, stop thinking this is something you have to do. Think of it as something you get to do. And number two, if you're nervous, a lot of that is a byproduct of feeling unprepared. So that means just practicing. If that means in front of the mirror, if that means to your dog, if that means... And like, th- there are a number of sub points here that I could make too. Like rewrite your intro a bunch of times and try which ones work, which ones flow most naturally. But to your point, if you give them a roadmap of things to do, and if someone is coachable, they will do them because the real work happens when they're by themselves, not with you. Very well said, John, which which then builds into like, what it, what are those three easy steps that people can take? So so for me, John, communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time. Right? Ah, yes. Balls, right, absolutely. Right. So one of those balls is body language. One of them is storytelling. One is eye contact, facial expressions. So the question now is what are the three easiest balls to juggle? And if you can get those right, I've found in my career, you're going to be better than most people in your industry. So let's start with the first one, which is the random word exercise. Take any word you want, cup, cell phone, light bulb, home, and create a 60-second presentation out of thin air. And this serves two main purposes. The first one is it allows you to think on your feet a lot faster. And number two is if you can make sense out of nonsense, John, you can make sense out of anything. So I always encourage people to do this five times a day. Yeah, I like that. That Do it five times a day. Yeah, until they get to 100. Oh, sure. Okay. That Yeah, that makes good sense. We used to do a similar exercise when I was teaching public speaking where I would have everyone come in, uh, and I did it a bunch of different ways. One way I did it was everyone brings in a dollar, and then give us a persuasive speech on why you should earn the dollars from everyone in the class as voted on by the class. Um, and people tried a bunch of different, you know, different tactics there, persuasive techniques, you know, I'm very poor, this will help me, or I deserve it because I'm the best speaker. Or they would just try and bribe the class, like, hey, if if I win this money tomorrow, I'll come in with donuts for the entire class. Like, But the only ones that really resonated that worked were when people would have like a good reason for doing this. Like this one kid in my class sponsored this child in Africa and said, I will take this, put it into a money order and send it directly to him in Africa. Here's what that money goes to. And by the way, here's his picture, blah, blah, blah. It was amazing. Um, Oh, that's so smart. Yeah, it was great. And he came in with the receipt the next day that he actually sent it off. So he was being truthful. And I said, those of you who pretended you were poor or pretended you were sick or whatever or ju- were just trying things, that was inauthentic. No one responds to that. Always be authentic. So find who that voice is inside you. 
Um, and then secondly, another one I did was I would I would do the same exercise where everyone would win a dollar, but they would draw a random topic out of a hat. I'd be giving them a prompt, and they would I'd go, all right, you have ten seconds to think. All right, now go give us a one minute speech on whatever this topic is you just drew out of a hat. And so to your point, yeah, that's good. If you can get up there and just sort of improvise and create a through line, I think that's brilliant. And the more that you're just doing that with no stakes, the better you're going to be when you're actually doing it with live ammo. Exactly, John, right? And and I love I love your version of it with the hat and you pick one out. I, I think the only nuance that I bring to the random work is the challenge I found with students is when they're outside of the classroom setting, when me or, and you are not there anymore, if there's no hat, they kind of just say, oh, well, if there's no hat, I don't have to practice anymore. <laughs> exactly. Which is, which is like stupid. So that's why I, I basically, it's the same exercise that you teach. Yeah. I just, I just made it as frictionless as possible. So people just go, okay, like, even if it's more fun to do it with the hat, honestly. There's oh, yeah. Yeah, it's way more fun. Well, anytime like, you're you're, you're getting a suggestion, that's you know, there's like a two way communication almost happening there. Whereas you're by yourself, you're like, okay, what's in this room? Cat, uh, picture frame, action figure, whatever, right? Generating that, ginning that up, because you know, as a professional creative, every project I do starts with a blank word document in front of me. And you, you pull from within you. And if you can do that and you can pull from any number of directions, which you're encouraging people to do, they're going to find a high level of success. 1,000%. So what's the second thing? So that's the first one. Do that five minutes a day. Do it for three weeks. You'll get to 100 pretty quickly. And number two is the question drill, John. You know, we get asked questions all the time in our life, right? On a podcast, on a sales call, at work, and in job interviews. But most of us are horrible at answering these questions because we don't see them coming most of the time. I'll give you an example with me. A few years ago when I was guesting on podcasts like this, I sucked. I remember some guy asked me, hey, Brendan, where does the fear of communication come from? And I look at the guy and I go, bro, Denver? I don't know. Los Angeles? Florida? Probably Florida. You tell me, right? So, yeah, probably Florida. So, so how, how did I fix it? The way that I fixed it is every single day, John, for five minutes, I just answered one question that I thought the world would ask me about my products or services or my mm. expertise. So day one was what tips do you have for introverts? Day two is what's your vision for master talk? Day three is what exercises can we implement right after this podcast is over? But if you do this five minutes a day for a year, John, you'll have answered 300 and 65 questions about your industry and you'll be bulletproof and that's number two that's good man i i was thinking as you were saying that i teach a different thing when i'm getting clients ready for media i say you are not there to answer the reporter's questions what you are there is to tell your story that's the reason you're actually there like they can ask you anything they want but if you don't know what you're hoping to achieve in this media engagement you're just going to be there answering questions and you're not going to realize the full potential of the opportunity in front of you. Instead, you need to acknowledge the reporter's question and at least pay it some heed and then bridge to something that you actually want to talk to or talk about. And so in this way, I think of it like playing tennis. The reporter hits a ball to a part of the court they want you to run to. It's your job to run to it and receive the ball. But then you have an opportunity to redirect it to a part of the court you want them to go. And so from there, it becomes more of a dance. It becomes more of an exchange instead of just you rotely answering the questions that the reporter presents you. No, take that and then shift it into something you actually want to do. Absolutely. I love that. Right. It's, it's a really another way of explaining what you did really well there, John, is really controlling the frame. Right. right. Like when you control the frame of the interview, you don't feel like you're some uh, some high school student answering a teacher's question versus <laughs> going like, no, no, no. I'm the teacher. I'm the person, the expert. So I need to direct the conversation regardless of what the, the media person is trying to throw at. Right. You're not in a deposition here. No. Right. It, you don't have a lawyer cross examining you and you have to just give them exactly what they're asking for. No, you you have some agency here. Take it. Exactly, exactly. And and then the other two points to build on, on the advice you gave on media is to write out the questions you got asked in your last media appearance yeah. and just have a cup of coffee every day and just go or every week whenever you drink your coffee, just ask if I were to redo this question or redo this answer after listening to it, 
how would I approach it better? And I did that a lot in the early stages of my podcast guesting experience so that I got much better as a guest a lot faster. That's savvy. And I, I really like the way you analogized this or analogized. I, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. I don't think I got either one of them. It's all good. But... It's all good. I'm not very good at English either. You're probably better at it than I am, honestly. <laughs> but um, to uh, a workout regimen, you know, like the you, you start out you know, doing curls with like five pound weights or 10 pound weights or whatever over time you do it enough and you practice and you go, Oh, okay. I can lift heavier and I'm not afraid of that. And it doesn't take it out of me. I'm not destroyed afterward. Whereas some people, when they're engaging in conversation or in presentation or whatever, it can be draining if you're not used to it. Exactly. Completely agree. All right. So third, uh, third tip, man, hit me. Number three, I'm sure you teach it all the time. It's so simple, nobody does it. So the question is not whether we know the exercise. The question is, are we implementing it? Which is, pick three people you love the most in your life and send them a 20-second video message. I I have not had people do this. Okay. You just go, hey, you know, I'm thinking about you. I really love the work that you're doing. I really appreciate you. Thanks for being in my life. I take this to another level, which is easier to implement if you want to do it. I think if everybody did this, the world would just be better. I have a Google Calendar. Well, actually, on my right screen. That's how I was pulling up when the interview was starting. Is I have a, a calendar that tells me whose birthday it is that day. Of somebody that I really care about. That could be a client, a close business partner, a friend of mine from college. And I put a stupid $12 birthday hat on that I bought off Amazon. And I open my camera and I go, John, guess whose birthday it is today? Is it Barack <laughs> Obama's birthday? Oh, wait a second. It's your birthday. I hope you have a wonderful day. And I just do that with everybody. Makes people's lives better. And I make a ton of money doing this indirectly for some reason. Really? Yeah. The reason is because a lot of my clients, when they receive it, they think about me because I'm the only one sending them a weird <laughs> video message. And they go, you know, Brenda, I totally forgot to introduce you to my friend who's a VP at this company. And that always results in sales. Yeah. You know, that's, that's funny. That Just that personal touch. Similar to that, uh, I don't do it with video, but... You know, a lot of people like I'll see Facebook birthdays come up with people I know. And then I'll usually I like I won't just write on their wall. I hate it when I get like 50 messages that just say like HBD or happy birthday. It's like, OK, that's nice. You, you took two seconds of effort to do this. That's wonderful. But what I try and do is I will send a text to the people that I want to send text to and I'll try and be specific. And that is a great public speaking tip as well. The more specific you are, the more memorable you are. And Roger Ebert famously said about movies, the more specific a movie is, paradoxically, the more universal it becomes because you can imprint your own story on details rather than generalities and platitudes. And so I'll say like, you know, uh, I hope this year brings you joy, fulfillment and success. Uh, I look forward to when our paths cross again. It was so fun playing beer pong with you, blah, blah, blah. Right. So just something specific where they go, man, he really did think of me there. And that that makes me feel good about not only him, but us and myself. Oh, yeah. I love I love what you said there, right? The more specific you are, the more memorable you become. I love I love how you phrase that completely. Yeah, the the specificity matters. And so when I'm teaching people and and this is like this circles back to one thing I said earlier, which is when you are coaching someone in public speaking, when you get up there and talk, it's a very vulnerable thing, right? You are up there in a way where you feel very exposed where you feel very unnerved, very naked almost. So to get people over their own insecurities, you become an ad hoc therapist in a lot of ways because things will come out in these sessions that you're kind of not expecting just because of that level of vulnerability. Would you agree? I I do, absolutely. I I think that's what's what's fascinated me the most about this industry is we're all great at what we do in the communication space, but we all have a very different approach to coaching the client. Right. So some people yeah. will will start by opening them up, getting them more vulnerable. I love the ideas. I actually have never heard a lot of them that you had mentioned where it's like you give everybody a dollar and then you have all of them kind of pitch. I was like, oh, wow, that's really fascinating. I was like, how do you even come up with that exercise? <laughs> I heard this from another coach. It's like they call it the fortune cookie exercise where the, she brings a bunch of fortune cookies and you open one and then you have to like give a speech on whatever fortune you get. And I was like, well, like I never that's heard pretty of cool. That yeah. But my, my ver- version is a lot more Navy SEALs like I, I, I find I find that I attract a lot of like a type people sure people are just like like guns where it's like my my training is more navy seals where it's okay we have the random word exercises the foundation 
if we don't do this a hundred times, we do not move on to the question. <laughs> so then for me, it's just like, okay, we need to get results. So then everybody does the random word exercise with like all of the other people in the ecosystem. And then they see a lot of great results. Then the momentum builds up and I go, okay, now we go to number two. It's question drill. We don't move out of this question drill until we've done it a hundred times. And then with the video message, it's like, like one of my CEOs, it's going to be, okay, you got 40 employees in your company. Let's call him John. You have to send a video message to every single person in your company. I don't care if they're a janitor or the COO of the company, and you're going to acknowledge each other individually. And if you don't do it in 24 hours, I'll fire you. Right? And they go, like, oh, okay. So it's just a different style yeah. that builds up momentum. <laughs> well, dude, that's funny too because you know you will find – like this, this is why trainers are not one-size-fits-all for everyone. Right. It, it's about vibing with someone and, and who can bring the best out of you. And so, like, what do you kind of need? Do you need to be like drilled like that? Do you need like hard deadlines? Do you need hard exercises? And if you need that, you're the guy. Right. If you need someone who's um, a, a little bit looser, a little bit more improvisational, a little bit more personal. So, like, for instance, the first exercise I do if I'm teaching a group is I will have them introduce each other. That's their first homework. Like, write a speech where. And in three minutes, give us the essence of this person. And here's your guideline. It's basically, this person is going to be in the audience. And at the end of that, you want them to say, yep, that sounded like me. That is how I want to be perceived. And all of a sudden, that gives it real stakes. That gives it real gravitas, right? Because it's like, I can't just blow this off. like Because they're going to be writing about me. Do I want them to do a crappy job? No. I better do a good job for them. So it's a different way of sort of raising the stakes here and so like how do you like having the heat turned up on you is is a good way of thinking about it oh absolutely john and and that's really the key you work kind of with the momentum that you have and then you build up so for example you know the question drill you know that for, for people who are listening to this it's going to be hey just do it once a day do it once every few days and you'll get results but obviously when i'm coaching somebody it's not once a day you know i'll no. lock them in a room for three hours and i'll do like 50 in a day because they're just really busy people. They don't have time to kind of do a little bit every day. But you kind of have to pick what's more comfortable for you. But the key really here, and, and I'm sure you'd say the same thing, is to take action. And this is actually the number one takeaway whenever I'm on a show, which is, are we booking 15 minutes in our calendar every single day or even three times a week to just do the easy threes, the random word exercise, mm -hmm. the question drill, and the video message forget three just send one video message forget five just do one random word exercise yeah. and ask one question and if you just do that consistently enough it, it will be very easy for you to get ahead of most people in your industry especially if you're like an accountant or a plumber or something <laughs> well to that point there's there's two things that i want to that i want to tug at here a little bit one is you know you're dealing with some pretty hardcore people if you go on your master talk website you know, and you'll see the clients that you have listed here. I mean, we're talking about, you know, IBM, Concordia University, Technovation. You're talking about people with heavy demands on their time and a high degree of achievement riding on their being successful at this. So they kind of require that kind of hardcore approach because you're right, their time is at a premium. And so is that sort of matching to your inherent personality? Like, do you, is that how you view yourself? Is that how you go? So... In that way, you're almost self-selecting or they're self-selecting the rhythms that are most comfortable. That That is a really good question, John. And, and I think part of that is true. Actually, a big part of that is true because the way that I learned the skill wasn't by playing hopscotch with my friends, right? It was doing case competitions, which is like very competitive presentations against some of the best speakers in the country. So I really had to level up to be really good. And I had to be – and I was a terrible coach too – but I was coaching people who are going to like Australia and Singapore to present against all these other business schools. Right. So if I didn't really deliver, even if I wasn't getting paid to do it back then, they wouldn't get the result. They would bring dishonor to our school, right? So so for me, uh, bringing that intensity has always been a part of me. I, I always call myself the Michael Jordan that nobody cares about <laughs> because like because like MJ was like really intense. I don't know if you've seen the last dance, but he's oh, like yeah. really intense. So, so he's really intense about, you know, his work ethic, his teammates, but people criticize him because basketball, everyone's got his eyes on him. I did the same thing when I was in college. I was probably a little bit worse actually than MJ. Cause I'd step into like 2 AM, yell at my students, but this is garbage. You guys are never going to win these competitions, but I don't get flack for it because it's, 
case competitions and nobody saw me being rude to teammates. (laughs) That's pretty funny, dude. I've had people tell me I'm chill but intense, which was about the best description because in... I can see that. um, I have this philosophy that everything you create aspires to be the best version of itself. And if we're not doing that, we are selling ourselves short and it's a dereliction of duty. So whatever we're doing, damn it, let's just make it the best version of itself. Because otherwise... If it goes out into the world half-cooked, man, that's a waste of everyone's time. So, yeah, I think we maybe have different approaches, but the same underlying kind of philosophy. I'm very quietly competitive. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I love that. And I I can see that, too. Like, you're you're very, like, chill, but also intense when you get into the tips. Uh, (laughs) Well, you're you're a pro at reading this. The other thing I wanted to say was when I was doing this for for corporate, so I went in-house to a company. It was an energy producer. And I was working with one of the business unit managers who was giving a lot more presentations that day. And I said to him, I go, when you were, I'm like, what did you major in in college? And he said, chemical engineering. I said, when you were a chemical engineering student at Texas A&M all those years ago, did you ever think you'd be doing this much public speaking or this much public relations? And he said, absolutely not. But here's the thing, you get to my age, and he was probably 50 or so at the time. He said, if you don't have an appetite or an aptitude for it, it is extremely career limiting. And so my question to you is, people are obviously coming to you because they want to get better. How, what percentage of the people are you dealing with that are sort of remedial in their skills? And how many are good but need to get to an even higher level and a greater level of polish? I, fantastic question. I actually haven't thought a lot about this job, but I'll kind of give you my, my, my instinctual response right now. But that's something I actually have to go back and, and think more deeply about. It's a great question. But, but you know what I would say right now? is it's probably more of the first category than the second. You know, I've personally, and your niche is going to be different than mine. That's also what I found interesting, is we're all not really competing against each other because we're all serving very different demographics. There's like, plenty of work out there for everyone, too. Like, that's oh, yeah. the, I'm not cutthroat. Like, I'm competitive, but I'm not cutthroat. Yeah, yeah, same, same, same. Just because it's like, yeah, look, I, I'm going to be the right fit for you, and, and if I see it and I believe, I'm going to advocate for myself to the end, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not out here slitting any throats. I don't care. There's yeah, enough work for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I look like a kid, and I've developed a business, <laughs> so I think all of us can, can be successful. But, but the, the reason I was, I was bringing that across is because most of my clients, I would say the one the one niche that I probably like become a leader in, close or close enough, me and like maybe two three other people, is technology professionals from the South Asian community specifically. So, for example, a lot of these guys they're Indian born, they come to the states, they become VPs at Amazon, Facebook, a lot of tech companies based on their technical skills, but they can't become C level executives or even get to VP of a lot of them without communication because they're really technical. So, yeah. so to your question is a lot of those people actually come because there's no I don't there's no competition in that niche for me because they already trust me and the word of mouth spreads really well. That's actually how I've built my practice. The other two niches, which I think fall more into category two of what you were talking about that I also attract are women executives specifically who are stuck at director VP because they feel a lot of loneliness at the top because they're the only kind of women at that level. Yeah. So kind of giving them that confidence. Those people are generally already good at speaking, but it's really about making them dominant in the field. And then the third type of client I've seen is the entrepreneur CEO where, you know, usually... Like, yeah, it's, it's across the board at that point. But I would say it's I found more success with technology CEOs from the versus others. Usually people who are building like, you know, half a million to two million. That's mm-hmm. usually my my sweet spot. Yeah, no, I understand. And that, I mean, the fact that you've identified your niches is well done on your part. And here's here's the other thing. Thank you for the compliment on the question. Um, I'm not going to waste your time with a bunch of boilerplate nonsense. Because otherwise, again, what are we even doing here? But in my particular case, you know, I'll get contacted by, say, group leaders who, you know, they'll they'll have their entire team. And it's like very few on this team are doing really good presentations. And, and I need my team to present better to our C-suite because we have a very tough C-suite and these guys need to get better. They need to level up. They need to polish. And also, can you help me identify some of my stars here? Because I simply don't have time. So put them through their paces and then give me almost like a scouting report on who from this team has potential. And so that's obviously shared confidentially with the person who's hiring me. 
but you know, I can be very candid with them because I'm pushing them in a variety of different exercises. So one of the things that, you know, I like about your word of the day exercise and this bridges directly into what I was just talking about is you said, you know, write an intro about that. Spend one minute talking about what light bulb, you know, doorknob, whatever, right? I tell people, this is one of my biggest pet peeves, is when someone gets up there and they go, uh, yeah, hi, my name's John, and today I'm going to be talking about, and it's like, oh, you blew it. Like, you had an opportunity to grab them by the lapels, and you chose not to. You went up there with the, with the most boring, dull intro that you possibly could have done, instead of coming with literally anything at all. Because here's the thing, man. Anyone in an audience is begging for the presenter to be good and dynamic and engaging. Whether they know it or not, you're just sitting out there going, God, I hope this doesn't suck. And if they come out there and they say that, they go, oh, okay, this might be a walk uphill. I mean, it's not to say they won't get there, but they blew the very first opportunity they have. So no matter what intro they do in the first speech they do for me, I go, okay, sit down. Now rewrite it three different ways and then tell me what those ways are. And so I'm like, see, you had so many different opportunities of doing this differently. I'm curious for you, because I saw this on your YouTube channel, and this is a very long way into this question. I apologize. But the word of the day exercise, how important is a good intro to you? Yeah, for sure, John. Not at all, actually, because I I love the context. So so the, the first part is let's dive in a little bit deeper as to why. Why do people turn off when you have a bad intro? It's really simple. It's the same way why we swipe on TikTok or on Instagram Reels or on YouTube shorts, if we don't like the first three seconds, it's because there's a lot of competition for our attention. Yeah. So if I'm swiping through reels and I go, oh, this sucks, like you're done. So even if you have the best middle in the world, like your content is <laughs> phenomenal. No one's going to get it there. Doesn't, it doesn't matter because I'm already on my phone. I'm already tuned out. But the opposite isn't true. If you have the best intro in the world, but your middle is actually average, I'm actually going to sit through the middle. Because at the beginning, I'm thinking, wow, this presentation is going to be good. So I'm creating stories in my mind. This is called confirmation bias, where it's like I'm creating stories as to why the rest of this presentation will be excellent. And that's really why it's so important to spend time in your intro. In terms of how to develop it, the random word exercise, I would say, is not really to work on the intro. It's mostly to just get you better with uncertainty. So I don't even get people to write mm. an intro. So let's say I give them light bulb. It's not, hey, take 60 seconds and figure it out. No, no, no. You do it now, like right now. Yeah. And then they do it. And then I give them like phone, do it now, destiny, and they just keep going. But for the intro, what I would say is I would do something similar. It's just, the, I think the only nuance, which isn't that big of a deal. I'll probably have them do one version at the start if they're beginners instead of three. Three is probably if they're more advanced. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, once they've already presented, like a, a thing oh. that they've already done when I've taught intros, I'll be like, okay, so you did it this way. Give me three other ways that you could do it, just like after the fact. So like it gets them thinking about it in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're pretty much saying the same thing. And then you have them kind of present it once. Yeah. And then you go, that's wrong. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And then after they do it 10 times the same intro, even if they say the same words, like a lot of my intros at IBM when I used to work there, that's how they became a client, right? Yeah. Is, 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 is not because I would go up there and tell a story. It's a corporate presentation. It's just my intonation and my bravado would change. It would go from, hi, you know, it's good to see everyone exactly what you did, which I thought was great, versus, you know, good afternoon to the board of directors of IBM. My name is Brian Corson. These are my colleagues, Jason, Paul, and Julia. And today we're going to be talking about X, Y, and Z. So it's not like the most fantastic intro, but because of the way I'm speaking, everyone is going like, oh, wow, this is going to be really good. It's poise is essentially what you're describing. If you come up there with poise, you can make even the crappiest intro work really, really well. Um, If you deliver it properly and if you capture people's attention and you go, look, I'm up here and the focus is on me and and you command their attention, yeah, they'll stick with you kind of no matter what the words are. You're right about that. Kind of. I want to ask you about, so in this realm, I will get clients asking me about things like Toastmasters or TED Talks. And I have thoughts on both those entities, but I'm curious, uh, do, does that ever cross in front of your field of vision too? For sure, John. I mean, I'll keep it really quick. I'm a big fan of both. You know, I think, I think any platform that creates opportunities for people to speak, opportunities for people to, to get, especially when it's so cheap in the context of Toastmasters, I think it's like what? 
200 bucks a year. Yeah. I'm all for it. You know, especially if you're a student, you're getting started. The only nuance I draw, let's, let's tackle both individually. The only nuance I draw between Toastmasters is I always encourage people, you know, when you get to a point where your money is more, your time is more valuable than your money, going to Toastmasters is not good, a good use of your time anymore. Not because it's a bad organization, but because if you're charging 50, 100, $150 an hour or more for your time in a corporate setting, basically if you're making more than $100,000 a year, it doesn't really make sense to sit in a meeting for 90 minutes in Toastmasters yeah. where you're only talking for three of those minutes versus when you hire a professional like yourself or myself, you're spending that same 90. Of course, you're going to invest a lot more than 200 bucks a year to, to work with us. But because of the speed of the result, you're going to get increased salary bumps in your corporate salary that will outweigh the fee that you're paying the coach. So when you get to that place, I would say around manager, or if you're in the engineering field, maybe a senior level engineer, I would highly recommend a coach over over a Toastmasters because you don't have all the time in the world to figure this, this stuff out. I think that's a really nuanced way of looking at it. And I haven't heard it framed exactly that way, but that's good. Toastmasters, if it works for you and you enjoy doing it, like if, if you're doing it for reasons beyond just um, improvement as well, if you're getting camaraderie there and if you're having a good time and you're getting fulfillment through it, I think it's a, a great organization. It, as far as improving your public speaking, um, you're you're going to see some limited results just based on the number of at-bats you're going to get, which I think is exactly what you were saying. I think that's a good way of looking at it. <clears throat> as far as TED Talks go, I've found, I mean, generally I like them and I like that, that 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 creates opportunities for people to express themselves in a really intentionally structured way that I, I think is good. But I found in the last few years, myself being a little bit put off by TED Talks because to me, they've become almost like the Marvel Cinematic Universe where they all kind of have a, uh, a B-plus sameness about them where everything feels kind of from a template. And you go, okay, there's more to public speaking than just this format. Do you have a reaction to that? Yeah, for sure, John. And, and it, you're, you're asking me a bunch of things I never comment on usually because no one asked me. So I'm glad, I'm glad you're asking me. So, so for me, I, once again, I'm a, similar to you. I'm a big fan of TED Talks. I think it gives TEDx specifically mm -hmm. because it gives opportunities for people who weren't that well known in the space. Like I was a nobody three years ago, and I still am a nobody. Maybe a little bit better known now, right? To to give them a chance to to share something that they can then share out with their network at scale. the The only issue I've had with TEDx is not from the perspective of the organization, but largely from the perspective of the client. Interestingly enough so people would come up to me and say you know brendan my goal is to do a tedx you know this is my dream this is what i want and then i tell them okay let's see you deliver your tedx talk what do you think is going to happen like jesus christ is going to come down and <laughs> you, you know pour water down your throat like a tedx is not going to solve your problems like i've been offered tedx platforms as you have i still haven't given a tedx talk no me either yet my, yet my business is done just fine and it's not that i don't want to yeah maybe i'll, I'll shop around different stages next year and pick one because my coach really wants me to do one, it's not going to create a Nirvana-like moment like it did with Simon Sinek 10 years ago. Right. Those are exceptions. It's not the norm, because back then, not a lot of people were doing TED Talks. So I think the point is, see it as a milestone that you can hit, but don't see it as the end game, because trust me, giving a TEDx talk does not make you a thought leader, in my opinion. Uh, exactly. One of the parts of my portfolio is also media relations, and they say, how many placements do you think we can get? And I go, I don't know. I mean, I can get you one, I can get you a hundred. Does it really matter? Because if, if you're not attaching this to some sort of bottom line goal, then if I got, if I got you a hundred placements in daily newspapers and your bottom line didn't move, would you view that as a successful campaign? Very well said. Right. So in this particular case, yeah, you want to do a TED talk. Why? Like, what is that going to achieve for you in your business portfolio that is not being achieved by other means? So if, if this is a good supplement or... I ask this question to clients all the time. Of these two seven deadly sins, which one is preferable, greed or pride? And depending on how they answer that question, I go, okay, I know how to structure a public outreach campaign for you because I know you're focused either on your personal brand or some sort of esteem or notoriety or you're driving business. 
I love that. I need to use that. That's really good. Feel- so, so just so I got it. So greed means they're maximizing the dollar with their ad spend, and pride means they're maximizing the reach, and they don't care too much about the money. Did I get that? I understand. That, that's more, yeah, that's more or less, and we can talk more about it off mic if you'd like to. But it's a basic philosophical frame to understand the goals of your clients in a, in, in a way that really cuts through a lot of the noise. Because uh, gotcha. if they answer that question honestly, then you know like what's at the beating heart of their goals for their business. So, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, okay, you mentioned that you know you were in accounting and you were doing you know this sort of found you. I'm curious how much of classical rhetorical theory do you actually lean on? You know, do you cite things like Plato? Do you cite Cicero? Any of that? Because that's my background. Because I have a master's degree in this stuff, and so that's sort of where. I mean, you could argue that a lot of Western thought is sort of rooted in this, too, and evolved from it. But, you know, Plato, Cicero, Quintilian, Erasmus, any of those names <laughs> exciting you? So so for me, I would say a lot of my expertise, and, and, and in some ways that ended up being a gift later in my career, is that a lot of my stuff comes from just practical experience. So you're right. I don't have the academic background that a lot of people in my space do. Like you have a master's in that in this space. One of my colleagues as well, Alex Line, who's a, who's had a very successful YouTube channel. He has a PhD in communication. Vanessa Van Edward, Science of People. She's done, I mean, a ton of academic research on facial expressions and how people uh, drive charisma. I have none of that. So, so a lot of my 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 experience really leans on just trying a bunch of things. And I only share it if I know it works consistently. So where did the random word exercise come from? A lot of, pe- a lot of people were having trouble speaking impromptu. So I looked into what resources were available. So I would look at, let's say, a table topics with Toastmaster. People would pick out a question. But then I'd look at it and go, ah, oh, that's too complicated. I don't think a client will actually wake up and like ask themselves five questions. That's good if you're in the setting. But outside of the setting, I doubt people will practice it. Then I'd try this and this. And I'd simplify the exercise more and more. And then I would get to the random word exercise and then they still didn't do it. And then I said, do it with your children. <laughs> and then they start doing it with their kids and they, like the execs. And then they got results really rapidly. Yeah. So when I see like the curve kind of take off, that gives me the signal that I need to share that with the world. Uh, I'll give you another example. Like people talk about being concise all the time. This is how you be concise. Say more with less, uh, talk less. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, Okay, but what do I do? (laughs) So then I thought about it, and it took me actually two years to figure this out. And I said, oh, this is how you teach it. You're asking the wrong question. Not you as John, but when people ask you how to speak. The royal you, sure. Right. It's like the question is not how do you speak more concisely. The question is, in this specific context, how do I speak more concisely? Because speaking on a podcast concisely is very different than speaking concisely in a boardroom. So if you try and mix all of these things up, you lose. And I just said, like, nobody said that ever, like, in the world. So I just said, okay. Let, so a lot of my experience, John, to kind of recap this, yes, I pull on some academic, but most of my stuff is just throwing a bunch of shit at the wall and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. And most of it doesn't stick. By oh, the way. yeah. No. Most I've, of it's horrible. I've tried a lot of stuff that has been pure ass that'll uh, just land with a thud. Like as I'm teaching or as I'm coaching someone, I go, yeah, okay, I, this, this one's getting lifted out of the set. I totally get it. To your point, I mean, so I have all this like academic theory you know, in my back pocket that I can pull out if need be. And if the client or my whoever I'm coaching has an appetite for hearing about that kind of thing. Otherwise, most people are just bored and their eyes start to roll back in their head. What I tell them is if you... So there's two things I always want to leave them with. One is I don't care what you know until I know that you care. And so demonstrating that and demonstrating, hey, showing your audience, look, this is why I care about this. You will bring them along with you. The second thing is, if you can answer these three questions, no matter where you are, you will be more effective. And it is, uh, what is my goal? Who is my audience? And why should they care? If you can answer those questions, no matter where you are, you will get to a place that is more effective than if you're not answering those questions. So who is this person? Why should they care? And what am I trying to achieve? You match all three of those things up, you have a higher likelihood of success. 
Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. So it's funny. Yeah. I mean, even with all this, all this theory I have underneath me, you come down to those three questions. That's pretty much it. And, and that's a very sort of tactical and very pragmatic way of approaching any public speaking, which you've hit on again and again and again here. Like how, like how do we get there? I think about when I was in college and people would always tell me like, well, you need to network. And I go, yes, I understand that. How do I network? Like literally, how do I do it? Because you just say networking, like, do I just show up places? Like what? And so I give people practical tips on how to network. Like sometimes I'll still tell college kids, like, this is how I did it. And this is how I got successful. A, B, C, and D. Do these things and you will be successful. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. And, and I do the same thing, right? And I'm glad you caught that. It's really focused on the how. Like for me, networking in 10 seconds is just make a value list. Make a list of the five most generous people that you already know and ask yourself, when was the last time you did anything for them? Did <laughs> nice. you ever hook up? Right? And, if, and the best way to get intros is like literally give them 10x more value and just have them introduce you to the best people in your network. You don't even have to leave your house to network with people. <laughs> you really it. don't. <laughs> um, and I mean, it's the guy, I have two little girls here. Um, they're ages six and eight. And I tell them, look, the guiding philosophy of this house is literally just work hard and be nice to people. If you do those two things, if you just work hard and you're nice to people, good things will tend to happen and to flow your direction. So you know, instead of networking, like, what can I extract from this person? What value can I imprint upon them that compels them to be like, man, I really like working with this person. I'll do anything to help them. 100%. That's great, man. I think that's phenomenal. Well, now's the part in the show when we do plugs. So, Brendan, feel free to plug your YouTube channel, your website, anything you want to plug at all. The floor is yours. For sure, John. It was such a pleasure to be on your show, by the way. Thanks for having me. And two ways to keep in touch. The first one is the YouTube channel. Just go to Master Talk in one word. You'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to speak. And the second way to keep in touch is come to one of our free communication workshops. We do one over Zoom every two weeks. And if you want to register for it, you can see me live on a 90-minute call and learn a lot more tips just from this episode But how I apply them live, like doing the random word exercise. And you can go to rockstarcommunicator.com to attend the next one. Great handle. Uh, I will plug all of that in the companion blog piece that's on johnofalltrades.us, also in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, Audible, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your pods, I'm there. Please leave a rating, leave a review. Brendan, this was an enormous pleasure. Thank you for reaching out to me. I hope our paths cross again soon, and I wish you nothing but continued success. Likewise, brother. Thanks so much. And that'll do it for episode 353 of the John of All Trades podcast with Brendan Kumarasamy. What a cool dude, right? Love talking to him. Love what he's doing. Be sure to check out all his stuff. I mentioned it's in the show notes. That's on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're getting your pods. Be sure to check those out. Hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes from me will come directly to you. And then leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Johnofalltrades.us is where you can find all 400 plus of my episodes. That goes back nine and a half years. I'm sure you'll find something that you'll love in there. And we're a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web. D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Training, content, engagement. We've covered the training part pretty extensively here in this episode. I also run podcasts. In addition to this show, I've got eight others that I produce. So if you have a podcast idea, if you have a business goal that you think podcasting might help achieve that goal, hit me up. I can get your show on wheels. I can show run it for you, produce it, whatever you need. I'm your guy, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot U-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Online marketing, online advertising, email campaigns, building websites. Basically, if you've got an audience you need to reach, 4Degrees can help you do that really effectively, really efficiently. Love their work. Number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot U-S. I'm out of here for this week. I will catch you again soon. Summer's winding down. That means playlist is coming because that's my birthday. So you're going to have some good blog content coming your way in addition to some more guests. So until I hear you again, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.